0: Coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast.
1: We teach casting mechanics. um, And we go over it in great detail at the school. We spend two hours a day on it. And I can tell you that everyone shows up to our school can cast and catch fish. But they can't control their fly typically as well as they might like to. And to be honest, a lot of people don't know what is possible what to do with a fly rod
0: that was john hudgens telling us what is possible with a fly rod south america made easy the henry's fork bolivia and the anglers academy today on the swing welcome to the wet fly swing fly fishing show where you discover tips tricks and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today hey how are you doing today thanks for stopping by the show I was asked recently by a listener who wanted to help this podcast out and he wanted to know what he could do to support the podcast. I mentioned that two biggest things you could do are share an episode, whether it's this one or a past episode with someone you know, or check in with our sponsors at their websites. And if you get a chance to purchase a product there, that supports this podcast. And, uh, and even checking out and uh, taking a look is supporting this podcast. Thanks in advance if you had a chance to share this week today's episode is sponsored by maverick fly fishing they make the lightest euro nymphing reel in the world which makes your rod more sensitive casting more accurate and you can hold your dead drifts longer without shoulder burn check out maverick fly fishing stinger and their other euro nymph products and support this podcast by heading over to wetflyswing.com slash maverick right now that's maverick m-a-v-r-k wetflyswing.com slash maverick Check out the lightest and most unique euro reel right now. Today's episode is sponsored by Hook, who has pre-packed fly assortments for every stage of your fly fishing journey. Check out their fan favorite nymph boxes that are hand-tied and inspected before being carefully packed into these durable, water-resistant boxes. Each kit is organized by species and includes instructional videos and easy-to-follow guides. Visit wetflyswing.com slash drifthook right now and use coupon code SWING at checkout to get 15% off your next order. John Hudgens takes us into the Angler's Academy and his long history around fly fishing education and travel. We get a history lesson on the Henry's Fork area, find out how to cast to a rising fish correctly, and we also find out what the parachute cast is all about, some other good tips, plus john's five dry fly tips for success here we go john hudgens from the Anglersacademy.com. academy.com how you doing john
1: oh uh, doing great dave
0: thanks for uh thanks for making a little time today to uh dig into what you have going out there we've um you've got a connection to it sounds like a lot of places uh, around the world especially like south america you fish you've guided uh the henry's fork uh, that area you know well so we're gonna we're going to dig into a little bit on, I think a little bit on the U S and maybe a little bit on South America today, but you also have this, uh, anglers Academy. So I want to dig into that as well. But before we get into all that, take us back quickly into how you first got into fly fishing. Then we'll take it into what you have going now.
1: Sure. Yeah. I actually grew up on the Texas coast. I had a, um, uncle that was a fishing guide. And so I knew that was an option, um, a way to carve out a living since I was a young kid. So we did a lot of red fishing down there, waiting the Conventional fishing and we did commercial fishing too. Um, (laughs) But we moved to Colorado when I was a kid, about 12 years of age. And I started fly fishing there Mm. and got into it um, so much that I wrote a bunch of letters to faraway places to try to get summer work. I ended up uh, getting a job with Bob Jacklin when I was 15 years of age uh, to spend my summers up there in West Yellowstone, Montana and work at his fly shop and uh lived in his fly shop there and so that's kind of where i got my start in, in the, the west yellowstone island park area around the madison and henry's fork uh, uh-huh. yellowstone national park yeah i've been there since
0: wow wow that's awesome yeah i didn't realize it. so so bob jacklin definitely is a name that has come up a number of times over the years we um we haven't yet had him on. Uh, I think we're hopeful we will uh, soon. But tell us about Bob. What, what's what was that like being a 15 year old kid? Because that's pretty young, and you're around a guy who's you know seems like he was pretty influential. What did you learn from that guy?
1: Oh, so much. I just wish there were more people in the world like Bob. Um, you know, he he was uh, stiff and and rigid and kind of army <laughs> drill sergeant like. You know, to work for, um, which was kind of what we all needed at that age, I guess. Mm-hmm. And Um, but he loved fishing so much that, uh, you know, he would carve out a a piece of every day to fish and take us with him. And so I I don't think that happens as much with Mm. these shop owners or head guides, you know, um, carving out time for younger people and, uh, taking them fishing when there's no money in it, you know? Um, and so sure we, we would fish with Bob three, four days a week. He'd have a free casting clinic every sunday we'd go coach with him there um you know we'd tie flies commercially with him um in the evenings or early mornings or when the fly shop was slow um in the shop so we did a lot with bob or he did a lot with us i should say and mm-hmm. that was a huge it was basically going to college uh for fly fishing um and he made it that way you know we we learned where all the original patterns came from, who tied them, why they were tied, what rivers they came from. So a lot of history there too. And I think Bob is one of the, well, at least for anyone I've ever met, one of the leading historians on fly fishing and its history. And so we, we, there was a lot there. We loved it. Yeah. And I say, we, I, there was a little crew of us and a lot of these guys have gone on to do um, pretty interesting things in the business. Uh, mm-hmm. Jonathan Heems, um, yeah. is one of them and he's over at big sky anglers, yep. started a, yep. a fly shop there. Um, have a friend named Brett Greco is a, uh, he and I were teenagers together there at Jacklin's, and he went on to, uh, Oh, later guide all around, but, um, probably best known for guiding down in the keys and, uh, out of oh, Isla Murata. And so, um, Oh, uh, There's a handful of more of us, Drew Mintzer. He's over one of the head guides for a place called Blue Ribbon Fly Shop mm-hmm. in West Yellowstone now. Mm-hmm. Um, So a lot of us, you know, in that 15, 16, 17 years of yeah. age, you know, we're all spending our summers together, sleeping in the fly shop and right. working for Bob. Yeah. Where
0: do you guys do that? What, take us that, paint that picture because I love the old fly shop. So I don't even know what it was like back then, but You know, what was a normal day back in Jacklin's? back in the, you know, when you were like 15, 16, 17, what, what would you guys, you'd actually sleep in there overnight and all that stuff.
1: Oh yeah. That's where, yeah. He had a little apartment upstairs, kind of where the fly tying area was. And, um, so there, I, I, we we could fit three or four of us up there. Couldn't remember how many. Um, (laughs) but, uh, no, it's such a great place to, to spend our summers. You know, I had a lampshade. Um, next to my bed that had all the old flies in it, hand tied from Lee Wolf were stuck in there and, oh, wow. and Joe Humphreys and um Ernest and just all the old names of fly fishing, Joe Brooks, all those kind of guys who would tie flies and stick their fly in that uh oh wow. Yeah, that old lamp and um lampshade. And so that was that was right next to my bed. It was incredible.
0: That's cool. Wow yeah nice i love the yeah i definitely love digging into the history is cool give us before we jump into some of this other stuff today i'm curious on bob what do you know like his history who are the guys that you know i mean yeah. maybe you mentioned some of the influenced him.
1: yeah i know it pretty well um he he's from new jersey originally and um he was in the army right out of high school and did his time and then um migrated out to west yellowstone uh to become a fishing guide and he worked for Bud Lilly, uh, Oh yeah. right when he got to town. And he worked there for quite some time before he started his own fly shop called Jacklins. And um in those days and I, I might have it wrong but I know that Pat Barnes was there in town had a fly shop in West Yellowstone. Obviously Bud Lily's um of course there was Jacklins there was another place I believe Danskins. um Anyway, uh, long story short, when Pat Barnes ended up, uh, moving on, uh, Jacqueline bought his piece of real estate there in West Yellowstone and moved his fly shop over, um, there. But so Bob, he looked up to Pat Barnes. He looked up to Bud Lilly. Uh, Some of his best friends were, um, Lee and Joan Wolf, um, from back East. They were very close, um, well, he had lots of friends and he had a big w- wall of uh, of old hats there in the shop and kind of from all of his friends. And those old friends, I mean, all the names are, are names you, everyone would yeah. recognize if they've done a little reading. So,
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. Wow. And is, is Bob, is he still, is the shop still around?
1: Yep, yep. And uh, he just retired his outfitting business, um, but the shop is still there mm-hmm. and he's still in it. He's still in it. Yeah, he's still he's still in it. Still doing his ding there. So, nice. um, and the town of West Yellowstone is just finishing up a big project there in town. It's a, a casting pond. There is always a casting pond in town that Bob maintained and and taught at, um, but they've revamped it and and really made a um, built an incredible facility there for casting, and it's called the Bob Jacklin Casting Pond. No, oh, it is, yeah mm-hmm. it is how how old is Bob uh that I don't know i'm yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna say he's pushing eighty, yeah, he's pushing eighty, okay,
0: yeah, yeah. so he's still i always it's always interesting here because, you know i mean he's still going right he's still got the shop oh, he's yeah. still at the shop it's That's pretty funny. that that seems like yeah. you know it seems like a lot of the people are like that in this space right it's hard to it's hard to get out right or even retire,
1: yeah, you know, I looked at buying it from him. 20 years ago and and Mm -hmm. other people have, and he thought he'd be ready to let it go. And he never was and uh, still is. not I guess so. Gotcha. Cool. Yep. Well, that's great.
0: Uh, I mean, it's cool to hear, like we said, the history is always awesome. Um, and you've got your own kind of history going on that you're built. I mean, maybe you could tell us about this anglers Academy really quick because I'm not totally sure what this is all about. And then we'll take that into some of the guiding and some of the rivers.
1: Yeah, cool. Well, um, Oh, about three years ago, we a group of us, 12 of us started uh, the Anglers Academy. Um, it's a fishing school uh, really designed more for intermediate type anglers to advanced um, people that are enthusiastic about the sport. They've done a fair bit of fishing or some fishing and they just want to get better um, and they want to learn more. And they weren't as lucky as I was to, you know, live in Bob Jacqueline's fly shop <laughs> for all those years and and really learn the sport and, and more or less learn how to cast. And so a lot of our curriculum is about casting. And it's also about how to read water, how to think about water, pursue it, ethics on the water, um, manners. Um, but really it's for people that A, they want to get better. B, they might want to um, have the knowledge of passing the sport on to their kids or their friends or their wife or their husband, whatever it may be. So it gives them, um, a lot of the background of teaching casting as well as becoming better at it. Now they can go and teach it. They can, um, they're, you know, we try to clean up their rigging, um, you know, help them understand how to build out a leader, why to shorten it back up, when to do all that, what knots to use, how to become efficient at it. And, um, you know That's something that they can uh, then share with, with others and pass the sport along. Um, we started that about three years ago. We run two to three schools a summer. Um, right now, all of it has been around the Henry's Fork or Madison River in that area. We like the Henry's Fork because there's so many water types there. We can show someone Spring Creek Flatwater, um, Canyon, kind of nymphing type water, really pretty swinging water. Um, you know, we can show them all those varieties of structures of water, you know, within a couple mile drive. And so it's, uh, we're not eating a lot of time up, uh, moving drainages to, to show somebody something different. Um, you can just quickly bounce around there and, um, it's a great place to teach fishing. So yeah, that's why we like to have it there.
0: Gotcha. And that's where, and you're up in that area. You're in Montana.
1: My wife and I—we live in Bozeman, Montana. Uh, we both used to work for a company called Yellow Dog Fly Fishing that's based yeah. here in Bozeman, um, and we did that for a number of years. She, my wife, ran the uh, New Zealand program, and I ran the South American program for those guys. That's right.
0: Yeah. And yeah. Rick, uh, Rick Klug, we had on uh, in a past episode. It was—he's obviously leading the way in a lot of the stuff, right, in the travel out there. And you, so you ran his um, it was South American program.
1: Yes. Yes. When I first started with, with them, um, you know, there was basically three of us, the two owners, Jim Klug, Ian Davis, myself. Um, and we had a travel agent kind of accountant in office. And I think now there's 30 people there. Um, and I, I do, I've kind of let go of that. Um, but recently and, uh, but for a while there we kind of did a little of everything as it became a little bigger um we all had our kind of little specialized places that we looked after mine happened to be south america so mm-hmm. um the continent uh, of south america which included patagonia's trout fishing in chile and argentina and the uh, jungle fishing that exists mm-hmm. there in brazil bolivia um I wasn't in Columbia quite yet, but we're kind of going that way when mm-hmm. I left. So, yeah. Perfect.
0: And I think I said Rick Klug, but yeah, Jim Klug was episode uh, 87 uh, way back. Way back. Nice. Yeah. So I'll we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to that one. We did talk, uh, yeah, a little bit. I guess we did cover a little bit of the, the jungle stuff that's going on there. Maybe we can dig into that real quick, and we'll probably talk a little about the Henry's Fork as well. But when you look at South America – you know, what does that look like? Is what is the most, I mean, you've got the Argentina stuff other than that, what do you think is the most popular place people are going down there?
1: Oh, I think on the map, you know, in the last five to eight years, it's hard to beat Bolivia and uh, the fishing that exists there for golden Dorado and Pacu, some of the catfish species. Um, uh, there are a few operations, but the one that we all think of and really one of the founding operations there is um untamed angling's uh, destinations there in Bolivia. Oh yeah. 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 It's hard to beat that. It's, um, it's a physical fishery. You have to be able to walk, wade, move around. Well, um, you know, it, it, it does reward good anglers. Um, you know, it's not so much of a game of randomness. Uh, you, you basically have to get yourself there and get your fly there and keep moving. And, um, so it's not for everybody um, because a lot of it is on foot and and it's uh you know it's a physical day mm-hmm. um but i think for younger <laughs> anglers or more physically fit anglers it's yeah. it's a it's an interesting place to fish and visit and then you have uh oh, some of the other you know tributaries of the amazon mainly in uh say brazil more for mm-hmm. peacock bass, and they offer some waiting, but you know, most of that is boat fishing, so that can cater to a, another level of client that needs a boat or enjoys mm-hmm. to fish from a boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's a huge waiting list and a in time of year that you're targeting to fish those migratory Dorado, and um, that's hard to beat. Uh, that yeah. Bolivia fishing, Bolivia, yeah. okay,
0: yeah, and is that a pretty pretty straightforward trip setting that up as far as if somebody was going to go down there it sounds like they they need the they need to be fit that's one thing Uh, other than that is it pretty easy like any other place down there
1: yeah you know with the travel how it's everything's changed with you know airlines and routes and all that um it's not as easy as it was but um sure you, you can get to uh santa cruz bolivia and a couple stops out of the u.s uh you overnight there you take a uh oh, a two, two and a half hour charter flight into the jungle. And most of the time that charter goes smooth, you know, most of the time the weather's conducive to flying on the days they want to fly in and out. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, there's always speed bumps with, uh, with weather and all of those logistics that go into it. So I wouldn't say it's the easiest place to get to. Um, (laughs) but it's, 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 it's doable, obviously. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's doable. And it's, it's safe. Like a lot of these things, you know, I think that's something that comes up a lot for people that haven't traveled much, right. They think like, wow, okay. Where are the safe places, you know, like Mexico, right. That always comes up, but you know, it seems like most of these places are pretty dialed in. Do you feel like that's not really an issue in Bolivia or any of these other places?
1: I feel, yeah, I think it's safe. And I think it's, uh, you know, it just, it's just a bit of travel. Um, you've got to overnight on the front end, the back end, uh, yeah, they're in Santa Cruz. Um, yeah. and you know, it can take a little while to get there, but once you're there, I feel safe. I know we've sent I don't know, dozens and dozens of clients down there. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had really good luck with everything. So. Yeah. What's uh what's Santa
0: Cruz like? I mean, you've been there probably a few times.
1: Yeah, no, I like Santa Cruz. It's a pretty place. It's a safe place. There's some great food. Um, you know, uh, basically we're just there for the afternoon, the evening, and then again on the back end. And that's the only amount of time I've spent there. So I can't say I know it, but, um, for cruising around the streets and having some drinks and, uh, having something to eat before you go fish, it's, we've had a good time.
0: Cool. So, yeah, so that's Bolivia. And then you have, you know, you got all the stuff down South Argentina, Chile, which sounds like you, well, you know, you know, pretty well as, um, as well, what about um, the other countries? So you got Brazil's huge, or there is there uh, just a ton of different opportunities in Brazil, or is there one big thing that a lot of people are heading to?
1: Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of variety in, in the fishing there, um, but I would say the the one species that stands out why most people are traveling to Brazil would be for peacock bass, yeah. um, and you know untamed angling and some other folks have also cracked the code mm. on fishing. Um, Mm -hmm. some other species, uh, but the big draw there is peacocks and, um, there are a lot of fishing operations through the Amazon. Mm. There's not a lot of fly fishing destinations, places that are truly dedicated to fishing those fish on fly exclusively, but there's a handful. Um, you know, we like Agua Boa Lodge. Um, it's an outstanding place. There's some great waiting. There's some clear water site fishing. That's not, uh, that's a little bit out of the, out of the, it's a little unusual actually, because the Amazon, most of their water is stained, um, Mm. in some way, whether it's muddy or, or or kind of a tea color, um, from sediment and, and leaves and decomposing matter, whatever it may be, um. Agua Boa is, is a neat place because a lot of their water is spring water, and therefore it's fairly clear. So it offers anglers a, a chance to sight fish, which is not always the case in most of the Amazon drainages. A lot of it is fishing blind right. and just throwing and throwing and throwing.
0: What was the name of that lodge with the sight fishing?
1: Agua Boa Lodge. Agua Boa, okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, we'll get
0: some links out to some of these places and and i guess it sounds like you know most of this yeah yellow dogs doing probably stuff to all these places down here
1: yes and there's a there's you know rio maria's uh been big on the map untamed angling runs that place Mm. it Mm -hmm. uh it really is um it's been interesting place and and one of a kind for for trophy fish and um you know, they've dedicated their waters to, to fly fishing only for at least uh, a majority of their season. I think they do open it up late, late, um, for tackle angling, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a place where you're hunting fish over 20 pounds and that's, wow. that's sort of the mark. Yeah. You hear a lot about untamed
0: angler out there. It seems like they're doing a pretty good job. How, how is, how is their operation? What, what are they doing well out there? Why, why are you hearing so much about them?
1: Oh, they just, they're just always on to good fishing. Those guys are great. Um, Marcelo and Rodrigo, um, they're a, a team. And, um, I think when they first started, I uh, can't speak totally on their behalf of how yeah. this all went, but right. You know, anything they've been involved with has been an unusual, a fairly new on the map. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a way far away place. Right. Um, yeah. and they've pioneered some, some excellent fishing opportunities. Uh, you know, I'd say the last dozen years or so it's been mainly in the jungle, um, of Bolivia and Brazil. And they're always on to something interesting and, and new and, you know, for for fly anglers. And yeah. uh so they brought um they brought a lot of species to the map for a lot of these traveling anglers. And, you know, there have been some other people out there before them, but they, they've really kind of, you know, brought this in front of everyone and got people excited and um you know, learn how to fish these fish and have good guides, good operations. Everything's, uh, run smoothly for the most part. And, uh, they're very good at it.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by Angler's Coffee. With more than 40 years of experience in coffee, the Angler's Coffee team roasts a full range of coffee with one goal in mind, delivering excellent coffee to every single angler. Roasted and shipped within 48 hours to assure freshness, for me, when I open up that bag of anglers, I know it's going to be super fresh and it is going to be probably the best thing I've tasted all day long. So you got to check that out in the morning. This is, if you want to step up to not only amazing coffee, great taste, but know you're doing your part. Uh, Joe and the anglers team uh, that he's got it going. He's always got something new going on from the artist series that they've done to right now, they've actually got a new bass blend, which I just purchased over to anglers, the bass blend. You got to check that out. Um, I was just over there. They got a mayfly blend, which is cool. And then of course, some of the standards that they have, the muddler blend and some of the other good stuff. If you head over to wetflyswing.com slash anglers, you can check out everything they have going on right now and you can get a little taste and even check out the dry dropper on the go tea bag option. Joe really loves this and this is a little bonus they're putting in if you want to really simplify the process. Check out the dry dropper, some hot water, grab this tea bag and drop it in. You're good to go with some coffee. Add a little creamer, maybe some honey, uh, which I like to do. If you haven't tried honey, give it a shot. And, uh, and you're good to go. Like we said, Joe is the man, he's got it going. Great coffee, great taste. Uh, you know when you pay for this coffee, it's a little bit more expensive than just your run of the mill stuff, but you know it's going towards good causes. Whether that's conservation or just connecting with local groups, uh, Joe always has something positive going and you gotta check him out right now. wetflyswing.com anglers, that's A-N-G-L-E-R-S. To make a change and get a taste of great coffee today, so we we're you know we got a little picture I was kind of just looking around you know South America, so we talked Brazil, Bolivia, you've got all the Chile Argentina stuff, but you've got some of these other countries maybe you don't hear as much about are there other places in South America that people are really excited about heading to that maybe you don't hear as much about
1: um yeah, you know all of them have some fishing opportunity it's just it's just uh, has someone paved the way to, oh, right. to set up a, a lodge to have the boats there to have the guides there because right. you know quite honestly some of it's so remote it, it's almost inaccessible to do a, a DIY type adventure without that equipment.
0: Yep, Colombia is one where I know right there's some stuff going on there for sure, and there you got Venezuela, yes. Peru. Yep. So I'm sure there's stuff going on, but some of these are just so remote, especially when you talk about Brazil, right? You've got this giant jungle, right? giant country, you know, where do you start? I mean, that's the thing. That's why having the untamed anglers is such a huge thing. Do they set up something where you have, you know, not only the lodge, but where they help you do the DIY stuff?
1: No, they don't. At least not to my knowledge. Yeah.
0: And is that something that's probably something that maybe isn't that common just because, right, there's liability, things like that.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, um a lot of where untamed angling is fishing happens to be within an Indian or native person's territory. Mm. And they have a, they'll have an exclusive agreement or lease with them to fish, you know, those drainages within their, their land. Mm. Um, right. and so, you know, just to get in there, uh, logistically, is just, it's a lot, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, legality of being there. Um, there's, there's something to that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in, in some ways there's not some of the opportunity for DIY fishing, just, just, to, just as far as how can you get there yeah. when you get there, do you have boats with you? Can you access the water? Right. And, you know, right. There's all sorts. so of stuff. there's all sorts of stuff. Um, you know, we I've done quite a bit of fishing in parts of Venezuela. Um, mm. There's also some great fishing in Guyana. Um, we we have an mm-hmm. operation there that we work with, or Yellow Dog does. Uh, you know, Colombia sure has a, a wide range of uh, fisheries there too, from jungle mm-hmm. fisheries to coastal fisheries. So, um, yeah. I would say that's probably the most up and coming country for mm-hmm. developing their fishing and, and having people come over to, to see it. Yep.
0: Yeah, that's right. And is, is the salt versus the jungle or the fresh, is it, is it kind of equal or do you see people kind of going kind of equal amounts?
1: Yes. You know, and, and I only know a handful of people that have fished Colombia, mm-hmm. So, um, it's just that, you know, people have had good experiences. Um, you know, I know they have great fishing, they have some good operators, uh, so I just see that coming on in the future as uh, as another, you know, kind of recognized and destination for folks. Yeah, perfect.
0: Oh, we have a episode, recent episode we did. We talked a little bit about Colombia and we've done some Ecuador stuff. And so, yeah, we're actually picking nice. away a lot of South America. We've done quite a bit. Argentina, obviously, that's a hot spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when you look at, say, the Argentina-Chile versus, say, Bolivia, pretty equal about you know, putting those two trips together is one harder to do just from a logistical or cost, all that stuff.
1: You know, um, it's just, it's just the airline stuff that make things a little harder. And, uh, it seems to be that way now. Um, but all these places are, in my opinion, safe to travel to. Um, Mm -hmm. and if you, if you have the time, you know, it's there, I, I don't consider them all that difficult to get to. Um, but you know, a lot of people are limited on number of days they can be away and, and, um, yeah, you're going to eat some time just, just getting there, um, to your Mm -hmm. fishery. So yeah, there's not a place necessarily in South America that that's very easy to get to without some sort of lag time, you know, uh, usually due to air flight, you know, some sort of connections with your planes. Yeah, just far
0: enough and down there. And have you done some other stuff, um, like on the travel outside of South America, around other countries, things like that?
1: Yeah. I've been fortunate enough to fish a lot of saltwater destinations, um, mm-hmm. flats, places. Um, you know, I've fished the Seychelles, Mexico, um, most of the Bahamian islands chains and, uh, we're going to Turks and Caicos soon to fish down there. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, fish Belize quite a bit. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Los Roques, Venezuela was always one of my favorites and, uh, you know, became a, a destination a little bit off the map for, for U S anglers due to, uh, uh, just the fear and, uh, of traveling to Caracas, mm. um, which, which I would not say is the safest, you know, I would okay, say so that is
0: one that's not the safest.
1: Right. So, you know, coming back to your question, there have been a few places maybe taken off the map. Oh, really? <laughs> like people used to go to and. You know, yeah. I would say Los Roques, Venezuela, um, which is an island, uh, you know, off the coast of this Venezuela, and it's very friendly and safe. But uh, getting there, you you need to stop into Caracas, and and a lot of times you're having to overnight in Caracas. And mm. um, though there's some great people that can take care of you while you're there, um, that that's a little bit unnerving. And to be honest, a lot of the uh, a lot of the you know American Airlines and um, United Delta, a lot of them had pulled their flights mm. to Caracas. So, getting to Caracas isn't exactly easy these days. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And
0: why is uh, just a quick little snippet on that? Why is Caracas so is a little sketchier than other places in South America?
1: Well, you know, there won't go into great detail there, but um, you know, there's just a lot of political unrest and instability in their yeah. in their uh, economy. Um, gotcha. You know, you have Maduro uh, fighting for office, start oh. maintaining his his office there. Yeah, 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 we normal all the crazy
0: geopolitical whatever. um Yeah, dictator stuff, right? Or whatever. I don't even know yeah, that's the thing. I don't know just, what's going on, but uh, yeah,
1: yeah. And I'd rather not go into <laughs> it make the wrong thing, but right, it's, right, right and right. it's changing, you know, so quickly that yeah. it, I I haven't kept my finger on the pulse, but gotcha. um, I just hope it becomes. Um, you know, Venezuela is a fairly sad story for me mm. oh, and a right. lot of their their people because it was such a uh, developed and wonderful country. For, yeah, that's for the thing. So to long. me,
0: again, I'm obviously so uninformed right now, but I mean, I always think Venezuela just sounds like you know what I mean. Like, I only have positive things when I think about it, from at least the history. Because it sounds yeah. like it's always it's a cool country, right?
1: Oh, it is, and um, you know, but but uh, oh, it's just kind of been politically run a little bit different than you, maybe we all <laughs> had yep. hoped for gotcha. and a lot of their people too. So, right. um, it's, it's, it's just not, uh, there's other places to fish, put yeah. it that way. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You want to okay. go catch a bone fish? Yeah. There there's plenty places of places to go to do, do that.
0: That's right. Yeah. Florida isn't even right. Florida's not that far from, uh, well, there's, I mean, that whole area. That's why when you look at it on the your map, you're like, Oh wow, that makes total sense. Why, florida and you got cuba i mean it's just it's all right there it's pretty amazing Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and even mexico so you mentioned mexico what do you think uh, you know uh, just when you look at mexico the places you've been is there a spot that's you would recommend hitting up in mexico i mean i know there's a ton
1: oh yeah i mean that that ascension bay area um Mm -hmm. Of the Yucatan is is phenomenal fishing, and it's it's world class for permit fishing. I think it really stands out as a permit fishery. But there's great snook, tarpon, bonefish. Um, great guides, good accommodations, lots of options. Um, it's a healthy fishery. And then, you know, I like fishing Baja, and mm, um, uh-huh. but that's you know that's a different scene. It's it's not a flats fishery. It's um, blue water fishing. Um, sure you can beach fish it and that can be a lot of fun. Um, and I think one of the greatest challenges of with the fly rod is running down a rooster and, and mm-hmm. getting them to eat, you know, yeah. from the beach, um, yep. they, they don't really love to eat flies. Um, have you done a little bit of
0: that? Have you done a little bit oh, of the yeah. running down the beach?
1: Oh yeah. 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 I've done quite a bit of it. I just haven't done it in recent years to be yeah. honest. Uh,
0: yeah. Is it pretty like, what are your chances? I mean, have you had some action out there? Is it pretty much your, is it almost like you're fishing for a uh, muskie or something like that?
1: Uh, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's different, you know, every fish is different. Yeah, it, It's kind of like fishing permit. You, you know, not, oh, right. not every one of them really wants to eat a fly. Um, and I'd say very few of them. Yeah. Um, so those are kind of your odds. You get up against one that just, uh, doesn't want to eat that. all, doesn't want to eat. And that happens 10 times in a row for the, you know, five days straight. And then you get up, you get up on one that turns around and and eats it for you. So who knows a little bit of game of randomness, but definitely just staying on them and, and having your fly in front of them. That's all you could do. Um, now the guy's fishing rooster fish for a living have, have really come a long way with how to feed these fish and what, what flies and baits, um, to throw right. at them. Um, they've figured out quite a bit since I've been down there. And yeah, I, I know them. they're, I know they're tricking a, a, quite a few more fish than we used to.
0: Right. Are there quite a few operations? I'm not sure if you know down there, like if somebody. Um, to
1: put some... Yeah, no, there's some, there's some really good guides. I, I, I don't know who who's who yep. in every yeah, spot yeah, totally. now, but yeah, right. Um, but I'm sure
0: yellow dog, I'm guessing yellow dog probably has some operation there.
1: They do. They do. And one of our friends, Lance Peterson is, is in my mind, one of the, you know, I wouldn't say pioneer, but one of the early guys uh, to fish rooster fish down there for an extensive amount of time. And, and he's kind of who I call and look up to, uh, right now. So,
0: yeah, gotcha. That's cool. Yeah, I know. I know. And it's, it's hard to, there's just so much again, that's where I always look at these when we're doing this, just trying to give a little bit of feedback on, you know, some potential spots and for sure, Baja, Mexico, I mean, pretty much everything we've talked about is, would be awesome, you know, to hit up, um, including, you know, which, which we mentioned at the start, kind of your home water, right? Is that part of the Henry's fork? Maybe we can dig into that a little bit. Um, as you know, just because I think again, it's one of those places that's a hot spot around there—the Madison, all these rivers—and um, then you mentioned the anglers, um, <clears throat> the anglers academy. So maybe let, let's go to there really quick. Let's turn the table. We're gonna we're gonna leave South America, and Mexico, and head to the U.S. Just you know, head up okay. north. What sure. is the? Let's say somebody listening now is you know they're not a beginner; they've been fishing a while and they're interested in kind of up in their game. Maybe that's dry fly fishing. Maybe they really struggle. Maybe they're, you know, there's just, they want to get that next level. It sounds like that's what the anglers Academy, it's not just for like guides and things like that.
1: No, in fact, it's, it's really, um, we've had a few guides come through the school and uh, trust me, they love it. And I think Mm -hmm. they take a lot from it. And really for them, um, yeah, they're getting a little better. Uh, Some of the stuff they, they sort of know or heard about. um, Now they're kind of, becoming more confident on those subjects. Um, and for the guides taking the school, I think they come away with um, a lot of the uh, skills to then teach and teach effectively and 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 clearly. Um, and I think that's the the a benefit if a guide would go to the English Academy, but it is not a guide school. I've taught at a mm-hmm. lot of the different guide schools um, mm-hmm. where we're teaching you know, people how to back trailers and take care of oh, right, trailer right, bearings right. and and rowboats safely and, yeah. you know, how to handle clients in different situations. This is more, um, you know, how to go about uh, fishing and uh, how to cast well, the mechanics of the cast, um, controlling your fly, um, reading the water, approaching the water, how to look at the water, um, the pace of how you might fish. You know, we cover all these Kind of interesting topics, just little fifteen minute topics, um, and you know, we definitely cover stuff like fish food. Um, mm-hmm. You know, entomology obviously being one of them. We try not to go into how many uh, legs a cat has, right? Antenna right. and stuff. We yeah. really want to just say, hey, here's a little bit about their life cycle, but here's kind of here's the kind of weather, the type of water, the type of habitat these these flies may occur in and or live in. And then here's sort of some key clues of, of when you might find an emergence from that insect and that species, uh, da da. da. So we are trying to break it down to where, it, uh, it helps, um, in their fishing and yeah. it, it ties back to fishing. Right.
0: And this would be specifically, it sounds like you guys are on the hindrance fork, but people would take these skills away. They can fish anywhere in the country sort of thing for the most part for trout.
1: Absolutely. And really for anything. So we're, Mm -hmm. we're teaching rigging that can be, you know, casting, rigging, those sort of things that, you know, basically anywhere you're, uh, holding a single hand fly rod, you know, you would, Mm -hmm. you would take those skills with you. We don't uh, do an enormous amount of, you know, two handed, uh, casting there. Um, we touch on it. Some we touch on, you know, uh, Euro nymphing, um, We touch on some of that stuff, but basically we're, we're really studying the single handed fly rod,
0: right? The single handed fly rod, not the, not the Euro rod, really. That's not your focus.
1: No, no. We introduce all those, uh, different, um, rods and different techniques and, um, basically to, to let people touch and feel and, and understand what, what people are doing with some of these, uh, new tactics and new rods that are out there, um. But we, we're we not the experts there or our class doesn't go that way. Yeah, so.
0: that's right. And there's plenty of other – we've we've had a number of imping episodes, you know, with many of the people that you probably know of. And we've got Pete Erickson's helping. We're doing some stuff here this year uh, trying to teach that because it is a hot topic. There's definitely – we hear oh, about yeah. that. a lot of people are really interested in it. You know, the, it's kind of one of those interesting topics because I think you got people that are heated on both sides, right? You hear some people that are like, oh, it's not fishing – to, you know, wow, that's something like another tool in the the tool bag, right? It's definitely works.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we, we're definitely not, uh, putting our spin on what people should get into. Should they really get into nymph fishing, Euro nymph fishing, indicator fishing, dry fly only, streamer only, swing in a streamer only. Hey, we're not, we're not there to tell you, uh, which direction you should go. We're just going to introduce all those things for you.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by Choda Outdoor, legendary comfort and equipment you can trust. Choda insists on the finest material and craftsmanship to assure you have the highest standards of quality. You'll feel in control of the elements in your Choda gear. Every product is solidly backed with a no-nonsense warranty against effects. And I have a family connection to Choda over the years. Back in the shop, uh, the old shop my dad uh, carried Choda and he wore those proudly with confidence And now I'm carrying on that tradition supporting Choda. And I'm very excited about the new products coming out this year and working with Choda in 2023. I'm pretty rough on my gear and find myself putting a lot of miles on that gear and being pretty rough on it. So it's good to know that the Choda gear is durable, is bomber, and I don't have to worry about it. And uh, even on those long trips, and you know, if you have a blowout, it's not going to be a good situation. So I'm excited to uh, keep digging into this this year. Clean, comfortable, charismatic, and ready for any situation you can throw at it. You can head over right now to Chota Outdoor at wetflyswing.com slash chota. That's C-H-O-T-A to support this podcast in a great family company right now. Okay, now back to the show. So if I was, let's just take it, you know, if me or somebody was going to set up for this, it sounds like you have a few classes throughout the year. Are those, um, when are those, when do those open up?
1: Yeah, we do them, you know, during, um, I think a lot of schools that are out there kind of shoulder season times. um, We're not that way. We're trying to get people out to our area um, to teach fishing while fishing is good. And while conditions are good. Um, So our classes are either four nights, three days, or they're five nights, four days. We have sort of an all-inclusive program with food and drinks and uh, tackle and flies and coaching for for that amount of time. We do a lot in the evenings, too. So it's it's fun. I mean, some of our – for example, uh, Bob Jacklin we were speaking about earlier. He's one of our our instructors, Mike Lawson. Hmm from mm-hmm. the Henry sport. He's one of our instructors. Um, John Jurisek used to own blue ribbon flies mm-hmm. with, uh, Craig Matthews and has written quite a bit about fly fishing. Um, shot a lot of, uh, great photos of fly fishing, taught a lot of people. So he, mm-hmm. he's part of our program. So we have, um, some really veteran type, uh, people that are, are teaching. And, uh, for example, we have a class this year in July. We have another class in August. And though we're not fishing a lot at the school, we're on the water the whole time, but we're not necessarily uh, out there trying to catch every fish we can. We're we're mo- mostly using the water to practice the lessons taught. Um, a lot of folks want to stay longer and fish two or three days on their own, maybe get a guide mm-hmm. after that. And so we're trying to do these schools at times of the year, which, you know, uh, fish well and are enjoyable times to fish with the weather and all that. So most folks come out, they do the school and then they spend another three, four five days fishing on their own.
0: Gotcha. How does that look in the Henry's fork? Yeah, I haven't been out on that river, like July, August, September, as far as like you know, people, crowds, does it feel like, you know, is it one of those places that's hard to find a spot or is there private property or how's that look?
1: The Henry's Fork itself in July and August fish, fishes well, but we're over the hump of the, of the real big surge in people. Um, that usually takes place. That river gets extremely busy starting with the salmon fly hatch in late May and then kind of continues to stay busy through the month of June uh, lots of reasons for that. Um, a, we have our bugs at that time, excellent fishing, good dry fly fishing. B, uh, a lot of rivers in the area are still blown out. So now people are a little bit more pushed over to fishing the Henry's Fork because their other waters are still in that transition of runoff period. And that area, the Henry's Fork, does have a surge of people, I'd say late May through June. As July and August happen, it still fishes very good, but so many other places are, are starting to blossom and light Mm -hmm. up. And so it just starts to spread out your anglers a little bit.
0: Gotcha. Like South Fork, the snake, another big one, right? All those.
1: You bet the Teton, the South Fork, Yellowstone parks, waters, the Madison. Yeah. Hebgen Lake things start, you know, all of a sudden there's a lot of places to fish. And, um, so people start moving around. Um, and so we hold the school there in July and August. Um, Though our teaching is mainly on the Henry's Fork River, you know, our students that stay after, uh, will often venture into Yellowstone or Fish the Madison or, or, uh, go down to the South Fork or Teton, you know? So there's, there's a, the yeah, area it's itself huge. has a lot happening.
0: That's good. And then throughout, and then the Henry's Fork, does that, so hatches wise, I guess in the summertime it slows down a little bit just because the heat doesn't pick up again in the fall?
1: It does, yes. Just just like all of our western uh, fisheries out here, you know, the fall is a special time. Um, you know, after our, our terrestrial season kind of goes through and plays out, we start to get some bugs like uh, bluing olives. Um, there's October caddis in some places, or different caddis species. Um, but I'd say the the bluing olives, the mahogany duns, those kind of things start to to happen again, and um, Oh, you also have, you know, all the brown trout that are moving out of bigger pieces of water, seeking their, um, spawning areas. They're kind of en route, get into new places and swinging flies for those big migratory Mm -hmm. fish or, um, (laughs) you know, there's a, there's, there's quite a bit to going on it. it, So answer your question. Um, fishing does kind of take a, a step back up, um, you know, starting about mid-September in the area.
0: Yeah, mid-September, right. So things cool down a little bit and then things start getting going. And I, we had, uh, you mentioned Mike uh, Lawson. We had him on uh, back in 190. He talked about the green Drake hatch. Oh, great. Which, yeah, which I wasn't sure. that familiar with, you know. And uh, so, yeah, that's the one, the other thing about the Henry's Fork. You've got all of the, the stuff you can do, including nymph fishing, but really the hatches, right? You've got these amazing hatches. is do you guys focus on that? What do you tell us? Somebody's coming in there, they're struggling with the dry fly. Is that something on the entomology you guys kind of dig into as far as hatches, what to expect? Cause that's challenging, right? Around the country, yeah, right? Because <laughs> if you're on the Henry's fork versus say New York, you might have some different hatches.
1: You do. Um, and you know, bug selections, a big part of it once, but that's not your first step, you know, there, the first step is finding a fish, getting in position and presenting the fly. Right, um, And I think, to be honest, that's, that's largely people's,
0: that's, that's struggle, where people struggle. Right?
1: Yeah. And once that fly goes over a, a rising fish's head, he does not eat it or she doesn't eat it. Um, then we start to go, okay, maybe we should look at our fly and, and get a better match of what's, what's happening here. But there's so many people that never really get to that right. s- point, yeah. you know? And, and how is it supposed to look and how good does it yeah. need to be, you know? And, and yeah. so I think that's the, that is kind of where we go over a lot in the school is um, not just to get someone to turn the fly over and, and, uh, and throw tight loops and, and be efficient with their fly rod. Now we start teaching fishing casts. Um, you know, the common one for dry fly anglers would be yeah. the reach cast and, you know, guiding, uh, that kind of water and that sort of fishing, um, all the anglers I fish with can do a reach cast, but to what degree, you know, um, and it needs to be a really nice reach cast to make a fish eat it. And so, you know, uh, I think that a lot of people are are just struggling on, you know, what their fly really should look like on the water. Yeah. And how, how good does it need to be? That's right. <laughs> yeah.
0: How good does it need to be? So you have this, you know, whatever hatch, something's coming off. You see a fish rising. You've you've maybe identified a fish. When you do that reach cast, maybe describe that a little bit, because I kind of think of it as like, you know, you cast and then you could reach left or right, you know,
1: or right. There's different ways to do it. How do you, how do you sure. it? Not that we're
0: going to go deep into this, but how give us the primer on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of that reach is only effective there's a lot of times you could throw a reach. You could, you could actually fish a reach cast upstream or quartering up. But traditionally, and to see that reach really work for you, it, it, you're fishing at kind of a down and across. Mm-hmm. So what I like to do with the clients that I have or, you know, what we teach at the school a lot of times is we find our fish out in the middle of the river rising. I walk, kind of get straight across from them. And then I take two or three steps up above that fish. That's my textbook mm. kind of easy. Um, now my positioning is correct to to now try a reach cast. So a reach cast is, is essentially um, mending your fl- your your line before it hits the water. So when that line is presented and the fly is presented, you are so called pre mended. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so we don't call it an aerial mend. There's there's a lot of terminology there, but. Um, essentially, you have thrown a mend in the air, and you its not a game of randomness either. Your, your fly lands in a Dixie cup that <laughs> you <laughs> that right. you're in, you know looking at yeah. up there. So you, you're you're controlling that long leader and that delicate fly to the spot you want it to land, while also taking your your fly line and moving it upstream. And so there, there's there's a lot to it, and uh, it's a fairly easy stroke once you know how to do it, but just like anything, it's a, it's a pretty big learning curve to make that cast work for you, especially when you're dealing with a little wind. Yeah. Sometimes, a a long leader can, could, could be challenging to control the fly. So we teach casting mechanics. Um, and we go over it in great detail at the school we spend two hours a day on it. And I can tell you that everyone shows up to our school can cast and catch fish, but they can't, they can't control their fly typically as well as they might Mm -hmm. like to. And to be honest, a lot of people don't know what is possible, what to do with a fly rod. What, what can someone do with a fly rod? And um, so we show them, you know, what is possible and, and quite honestly, what's impossible. And we kind of lay that out. So, um, Hmm. But teaching the mechanics of the cast, Dave, um, now we're getting people to form tight loops and control the fly. I think it's pretty easy to get somebody to throw a a fly line out somewhere. But where is that fly landing?
0: Yeah. And how is it fishing and
1: all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. We
0: were doing a, a saltwater. Uh, we had Bruce Chard on talking about you know Florida, and he was talking about just you know the casting, keeping it low right, and all that. And there's you know, it's just again one of those little tips, but it makes total sense because of the conditions. and I mean same thing with dry fly fishing. sure if the wind's blowing at your face. And, uh, you know, or is changing, you know, how do you make that cast and how would you do the reach cast? And like your situation, you know, down and across, are you reaching? It depends on each situation. So it seems like there's so many different examples, right? How do you cover it all? But do you feel like, like for the reach cast, for example, there's a basic techniques that once you learn those, you could apply those to any condition?
1: I do. And I, yeah. once you learn, you know, it's, it's, uh, I compare it a lot to the game of golf or, or a hmm. baseball pitcher on the mound. You know, the mechanics of how a baseball pitcher, they all have a little different style. If you just kind of, you know, cruising through the channels, watching baseball, every pitcher's got a little different style. But basically, they're loading that their arm up pretty much every one of them the same way. Their mechanics are flawless. Um, you know, the same with golf in, in, a, in a stroke that way. So we're teaching that those mechanics of what your arm should look like and feel like. Um, right. and what it does to right. to, to your rod and, and how to load your line. Once you've squ- got that squared away, you can do a lot with your fly rod, but you're always, you're me- the mechanics of your arm are the same. Now, that doesn't mean, don't confuse that with what Bruce was telling you about keeping yeah. a low line. Right, that's we, different, we, yeah. Yeah, we can keep a low line using the same mechanics that we're mm-hmm. going to teach here. So um, mm-hmm. we could keep a high line. Um, we teach people, you know, why would you go low in the front, high in the back with your, with your cast, for right. example, or do you want it to be on a parallel plane or do you want a low back cast and a high forward cast? When would you use that? Yeah.
0: What? Yeah. yeah. That is a good, when would you use that? When, what's the one example that the low, low back yeah, cast high.
1: A, a li- okay. So there's, there's one example of that would be what we call a, a parachute cast or oh, yeah. a you know, and so now we're purposely wanting our, uh, to pile up our leader. Um, and that's one way to do it. Um, so to achieve a certain drift and get the fly to act natural in the water on certain currents, you might do a parachute type cast. And, and that's one example of when you would, uh, come, you know, stop your rod and, uh, send that fly a little more into the atmosphere than you would, uh, you know, sending it to the water. So
0: gotcha. Gotcha. Nice. Well, I won't keep you too much longer here. I think, uh, you know, I want to let you get back to the family and stuff, but, um, I think this is good. I think we're just kind of touching the surface on some of the stuff I wanted to dig in. Obviously there's a lot of education and learning and, and we're trying to put together something, like I said, uh, a similar thing, more focused on kind of nymphing, uh, this year, but I, I'm always interested in the school because I think it is an opportunity to, for people to elevate where they're at. Right. They could listen to a podcast, they can read, they can do a lot of things, but until they sit down or fish with people like yourself, right. That's where they really can elevate or a guide. It's all, all the things are combined and essentially what your program is a guided, essentially it's guiding it's education. It's the whole package, right?
1: Yes. And, um, but it is a little different than a guided trip. Um, you know, you can, every time you fish, you learn something in my opinion. And when you fish with someone else, you learn something from them. Um, so fishing with guides, you know, is a wonderful thing and a lot of guides teach quite well and they, and they share um, little tricks with you or, or show you different ways to fish. Um, those are all beneficial, but here we're, we're going to take the fishing part out of it a little bit and we're not so much concerned with, uh, catching a fish, we want you to learn um really learn the sport. And we do think that there's a <laughs> I know it's a, a complicated subject. I mean, yeah. But so in our program, we're not out there um the sole purpose of catching that fish. We right. we basically don't have enough time to mess around. Um mm. we have so many subjects to cover and teach and teach well. Um, that fishing is uh is kind of we do a little bit of it every day for sure, and people catch fish during the during the course, but um it is not a guided experience where the main purpose of a guided experience typically is to catch a, foot. Yeah, to a fish yeah and our main experience here is is really how to learn how to use a fly rod
0: right 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 fly rod and then yeah, gotcha okay well that that's good clarification and And like you said, you guys are doing this, um, you know, this program, you've been going for three years now and it sounds like you've got a a good team. Like you mentioned a few of these people, what does that look like? Do you guys keep, are you adding folks or like the program wise? I mean, as you look out on it, I know it's early, that's probably hard to do, but it seems like you got a lot of good people involved. How do you, do you grow this thing? Do you move into different areas around the country? What's that look like?
1: Yeah. Um we may grow it right now. We are kind of happy with the two or three courses that we do a year mm-hmm. um, during the prime time of the summer with all the instructors we have, which are 12 of them. Right. And, um, and everyone gives a little bit every day um, rotating through, but uh, yes, there could be a, a possibility to do a saltwater types class mm-hmm. or a warm water mm-hmm. fisheries class, or a little bit more of a dry fly only class. Right. Um, so it, we're looking at that. we actually have some curriculums kind of design for some of that um mm-hmm. so we'll see where it goes,
0: yeah, yeah no yep. I think I think for me, I always think of the dry flies as the as maybe the biggest challenge, and I don't know if that's because of the the hatches or the you know that it seems like for me that is one of the challenges. do you find that there's one specific nymphs dry flies that people struggle more with in your class
1: well here's here's what I will say about it i, I, I tend to find um we have a lot of people we fish around and fish with that are dry fly purists kind of people. Mm, right. And but I'll be really honest with you. It, a lot of a lot of them cannot nymph fish. Right. And they view that nymphing, oh I'll just put a nymph on and catch a fish. Yeah and they're not good at it. And when yeah. you're not good at it, it doesn't work. <laughs> so yeah. we definitely um I like to fish dry fly fishing, you know, is what I prefer and, and what I am looking for. But I want to be proficient at all of it. And, um, so we find that some of these purists, uh, um, to be honest with you, a lot of them cannot nymph fish that well. And so therefore those anglers are learning a lot about nymphing. Whereas other anglers that, you know, fish mostly on tailwaters that, that nymphing is kind of what they need to do 90% of their, their season to, to have good fishing. Um, yeah, they're not exposed as much to, uh, to dry fly opportunity or, or, and so when they're up against it, they're, they struggle. So, you know, we have, we have people from both walks of life. Um, Mm -hmm. but I do find it kind of interesting that a lot of the dry fly purists, if they were to nymph, they don't know how to.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. I think it is interesting because it's all, it it can all be challenging, right? I mean, streamers, everything it's not like you know for anybody to dry fly yeah purist or anybody to come and be like wow that's just easy you know that you know that's kind of crazy um well let's take it out here we've got these um the fireside chat segment and this is uh where you imagine we're we're at your let's just say we're at your event okay and we're sitting there i'm not sure if you guys are going to have the campfire out back but we're sitting there kind of in the evening sitting around and um you know, we're thinking, like I said, dry flies. So if you, if, if I was talking to you and we're thinking like, what, what are a few tips that I could think about tomorrow that I could kind of apply, you know, like maybe I've been struggling a little bit to, you know, find some fish, match the hatch. What do you tell somebody that they just have a lot of struggles in the dry fly? You have a few tips you might offer that are more kind of some general stuff or where do you start? Or maybe you can just take us to where you guys start too? you know, because I'm yeah, not sure. No, no, I do. Yeah.
1: Uh, one of our first things that will really uh, emphasize is taking those, and I know uh through your podcast, people have said a lot about this, but mm-hmm. um yeah, observation's the yeah. first step, right um yeah. so you're going to not just hop in the river and and start hacking away um you know, you want to take a look around um and that'll kind of help you decide what you might start with and where you might start and where and, I start. and that's a good you know. It's yeah. pretty easy to say. But right. um, but if the fish are, if there's a big
0: hatch coming off, right? Whatever that is, whether it's mayflies or caddis, it's like, okay, there's a ton of fish. And then all of a sudden, maybe there's also fish rising. So that gives you a little intel, right? Okay, there's some action here. Maybe I want to look. And then, but sit back, see what's going on. And are you, I mean, picking out fish specifically? What, what's your first step? So you see fish rising. Yeah.
1: What do you do? Yeah. There? First of all, to see a fish rise, you, you have to want to see a fish rise. You have to look for them and you have to know what to look for. So now, okay, you want to see a fish rise. So now you're watching the water and you see something. Uh, I think the next step is honestly, how, what type of water is that fish in and and how am I going to get a good drift? What positioning might work? So how am I going to approach that fish? Um, And what cast might you use Mm -hmm. um, over that fish? So, uh, you know, if you have a fish on the bank, um, and it's too deep out in the middle to get out in the middle and fish back to them with the reach cast, now you're going to have to go over the top of them straight over the top. So, you know, you're starting to kind of eliminate some of those things that you can't do. um, Mm -hmm. and, and think about some of the things you can, um, Mm -hmm. and so approach and, and just getting that drift correctly is step one, um, step two would be, like I said, maybe looking at your fly and, and what's happening um, to match that hatch. But if your fly does not tra- travel over that fish correctly, you have no chance. So right. I always think the first the first thing is to uh, figure out that positioning and, and what cast you might use.
0: The positioning, right? Yeah. Like you said, with the reach cast, if you see a fish out in the middle, maybe you take a couple few steps up above it, get in position. Right. And, and then you're making your cast down to
1: it right that's a classic now there's a lot of ways to uh, yes. stick in that cap but yeah right that's, right, that's right kind of the classic
0: yeah that's the classic way yeah it seems like there's some, and in you, like you're saying you guys kind of cover a little bit of situations on the you know the henry's fork in this example tell us that how big is the henry's fork like i know there's variation but on average you know is this a kind of a medium-sized river or do you just give us a rough idea
1: i'd say it's Yeah. It's medium to large, you know, it runs about thousand to 1200 CFS during the summer months on average. So it's got a pretty good flow to it. Um, Uh It's typically, you know, there's a lot of different sections of the Henry's Fork. It goes through several canyons. It goes through some, some big meadow lands uh, where it snakes around, gets really wide. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have what they call the lower Henry's Fork, the lower river. It goes through a series of Little check dams and, um, but uh, no, it's just, it's a river that uh, you can both walk and wade and and fish from a boat. So if that sort of paints a picture for you, it does. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. twelve
0: hundred cfs definitely. That that helps. That that's a decent sized river. Nice, John. Well, I think, um, you know, like I said, we, we touched on that. We've been around, uh, you know, North and South America. Uh, we've touched on a few things. I think it's given people an idea of what you have going on the Anglers Academy, which I wanted to touch on and some of your background. Give us a quick little snippet, just looking ahead the next kind of six months to a year. Um, what do you have going? Are you going to, you got the Academy coming up this summer. Anything else you want to give a shout out to?
1: Yeah, we have two courses this summer. One's in July. We call it the signature course. It's, uh, mm-hmm it's where all 12 of our instructors are present and it, it it's sort of our bread and butter course for more of a, an intermediate type level angler. Um, and that is July 8th through the 13th. We hosted at a place called Elk Creek Ranch. It's a 500 acre property with little cabins spread all through it, um, on a spring fed pond and, uh, right down the road, is the Henry's fork a couple miles away. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's coming up in July. We have a woman's course, dedicated to women only, um, that we hold at, uh, the famed Harriman state park. Um, what also known as the railroad ranch mm. section of the Henry's fork. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's in August. We had that, that one is full. It's August 6th through the 10th. So we're all full filled, filled up there. We do have a few spots for the signature course. Um, okay. still open. Uh, no, but I'll, I'll be, uh, fishing, um, before that with clients, um, And I'm doing some farming too. I, I, uh, wow, have two different operations that I work for, um, here in Montana. Um, so we'll be planting a lot starting in April, May. And, uh,
0: that's cool. What what type of farming is that?
1: What are you guys doing? Well, we have, um, my mom and dad, our family have uh, a place in central Montana, grass range, um, that, uh, there's some cattle on. There's uh, uh, some small grain operation, alfalfa hay, um, but a lot of our efforts are uh, towards uh, creating immaculate wildlife habitat, mainly. Oh, wow. Mainly gotcha. for bird hunting, to be honest. Oh wow! Nice running bird dogs. Um, yeah,
0: like pheasants, or what are the, what's the big bird species out there? Pheasants and
1: yeah, pheasants, Hungarian partridge. Yeah, um, sharp-tailed grouse. We have yeah, grouse. a few sage grouse there too. Nice. Yeah. And wow. then, um, there's a property here, that I manage, uh, for some private owners, um, here on the East Gallatin, just North of where I live here in Bozeman. And mm. that is a, a fishing, um, outdoor property too. So managing mm, the habitat gotcha. for, for wildlife.
0: That's sweet. Yeah. So bird hunting, bird hunting, fly fishing, are they, are they equal size kind of, you know, niches, do you think they're for, or is bird hunting a lot bigger
1: for me? yeah just well
0: just in general yeah for you and in general
1: (laughs) everything has a season so you know when when september comes around here in montana um i'm pretty fired up to go run dogs uh yeah and you know when when april comes around our our first mayflies start hatching right and i'm pretty fired up to go fish so uh, everything has a has a season perfect
0: all right, John, well, I'll send everybody out to the anglersacademy.com and uh, just want to say thanks for definitely putting in, uh, in all the time today to give us a little uh, rundown on what you've been up to and shedding some light on, you know, the world you live in and, and also the world you've been, right? Are you planning South America? Is that uh, something that you probably will head back down at a later point?
1: Oh, yes. Yes. I have so many good friends and, and yes. Awesome. Yep. So I'll be down there.
0: All right, John, we'll appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Okay. Hey, thanks, Dave. Take care.
0: There you go. We're heading out of here, wetflyswing.com slash 421. 4 er That's where you can go to get some follow-up on this episode. Uh, any of the links we talked about today, easy chance. Click over there and check it out. Quick listener shout-out before we get out of here, Casey from Cincinnati, Ohio. Casey, shout-out to Casey. I talked to him on the phone uh, this last week, and he is the winner of the grand prize Euro-nymphing school trip and all the gear giveaway. This was a $6,000 prize pack. We had a bunch of people that entered, and Casey uh, was lucky enough to get this. A bunch of great brands. I want to thank all of our sponsors in advance who supported uh, that event. And we're going to be heading out there later this year uh, out to the Henry's Fork and South Fork of the Snake with Casey and a few people who are interested in joining us along the way. If you want to uh, get a spot, we've got a couple of spots available still. You can send a message, dave at wetflyswing.com, or just head over to wetflyswing.com trips. And that'll get you a chance just enter your email and name. And I'll follow up with you on email. And I can give you some more information on that trip. It's going to be pretty epic. The prize point, uh, you can't beat. This area is a little spending. We were, we were able to get a pretty amazing prize point. This is guided food, lodging. Everything's good to go. Uh, it's going to be a good trip. Like I said, a couple more slots. This is going to be heading out with Pete Erickson on this trip. I hope you get a chance. Check in with me. Let's take a look and see where we're headed Hey see where we're heading next. Let's take a look. Where are we headed next? So next week next week we are heading in. We're gonna be uh, working our way around. Uh, we're gonna be heading out to Europe. We're gonna be heading out to the East Coast. Uh, we've got some episodes and then after that we're gonna be jumping into Stillwater week right into it again. We're gonna be doing another launch here for another big giveaway event we have coming here. Stillwater week. Uh, we are heading up to BC on this one. So if you've been interested in learning and uh, getting your knowledge uh, dialed in with the best, we got Phil Roy coming back here. You've been hearing him on the littoral zone, which uh, we're going to launch another episode of that that week. So stay tuned. We got Phil coming up with his podcast. We've got uh, the Northern Lights giveaway. Uh, Stillwater. This is going to be a big week. So I think I'm going to leave it at that. If you have any questions about trips, anything coming up here, definitely reach out to me. And uh, definitely appreciate you for hanging in here till the very end. And uh, if you have any ideas for guests, as always, reach out to me, Dave, at Wetfly Swing or on social media, Wetfly Swing, anytime. we got some big things coming this year. So I'm looking forward to hopefully getting out with you on the river and uh, or maybe connecting with you online. Hope you are having a good afternoon, a good evening or good morning wherever you are in the world. And I appreciate you for stopping in today. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode,
1: visit wetflyswing.com.